1972, a crack commando unit was sent to a liturgical prison by a canonical court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security diocesan stockade to the ecclesial underground. Today, still wanted by the Vatican, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, then you should listen to Libra Cristo War College. Welcome to Wednesday's War College. Bumpers, compliments of St. Michael Shield. Thank you, men. My name is Jesse Romero. I'm here with Kyle Clement. Kyle, are you on duty, my friend? I am here, Jesse. Glad to be with you. Awesome. It's always good to have you on. Uh, Kyle, I want to I just share a, a, a portion of an article, and then I definitely want to have a conversation. I want your take on it. The article's written by Naomi Wolf. She's a best-selling author, columnist, and professor, and graduate of Yale University. She's a, she's a, an American feminist author, and it surprised me that, that she wrote this article. She was also a political advisor to the presidential campaigns of Bill Clinton and Al Gore. So she definitely leans left, but this article here, it seems to me as if her eyes are opening up to the reality of evil and the diabolic. So... <clears throat> Here's what she writes, and I just want to share this section, maybe the, the take the first segment to share what she had to write. Then uh, I would like your take on it, Kyle, because I've heard you talk about these uh, the return of the gods, these ancient demons in times past. So I would like to get your reflection as, uh, as soon as I share what she wrote. I'm just going to go right to the, the meat of her article. She says, uh, she said that she heard of a pastor named Jonathan Cain, who had written a book titled Return of the Gods. So Naomi Wolf writes the following. The title resonated with, remember, she's, she's a, a Jew. I don't know if she's a practicing Jew, but she seems to be going back to her Jewish faith. She says, the title resonated with me, The Return of the Gods. Though I don't agree with everything in the book, the, the, the central argument that we have turned away from the Judeo-Christian God, and thus we have opened a door into our civilization for the negative spirits of the gods to repossess us feels right. Jonathan Cain is a Messianic Jewish minister. He's the son of a Holocaust refugee. Formerly a secular atheist, Cain had a near-death experience as a young man that led him to accept Jesus, or as he refers to his to this presence by the original Hebrew name Yeshua as Lord and Savior. So in this book, The Return of the Gods, his improbable and yet somehow haunting plausible thesis is that ancient dark and metaphysically organized forces, the gods of antiquity, have returned to our presumably advanced secular post-Christian civilization. Uh, <clears throat> because we've turned away from our covenant with Yahweh, especially we in America and we in the West, and especially since the 1960s, Therefore, the ancient gods, or rather, ancient pagan energies that have been vanquished by monotheism and exiled to the margins of civilization and human activity, have seen an open door and thus a ready home to reoccupy in us. He argues that they have indeed done so. Kyle, just uh, on that section, those uh, three paragraphs that I just shared, to me, it seems that she's tracking in the right direction. 
what we're seeing right now uh, in America, this is just not, this is just beyond, you know, bad leadership. This is just beyond secular humanists running the country. To me, this is beyond just the, 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 the Communist Chinese Party infiltration in this country, the World Economic Forum. Uh, to me, there are dark forces behind all this, just like the Catechism of the Catholic Church says in paragraph 407, is that the, the devil uses, dominates man through politics, is one of the ways he dominates man. So what I just shared about the article from Naomi Wolf, uh, what are your comments on that, Kyle? So first of all, uh, I think to look at the author, it's always interesting. Um, this is a very, very interesting individual. Um, and I think you're right. Is she's an ongoing conversion. She is a Jew. Uh, she was raised um, as a Jew. And so there's a sensibility. There's a knowledge of God. There's a covenant relationship with God. So ontologically, she has a relationship with God that she may not totally realize herself. But uh, this is a person who was celebrated uh, as a feminist. Uh, she was uh, celebrated as the leader of the third wave of fem feminism. She was endorsed by Gloria Steinem and various other bad actors in that movement. Yet now as she's starting to have some realization and i think the catholic term is compunction um she engineered uh bill clinton's campaign his image as a family man uh, that was her charge that was her job dick morris hired her um to craft an, a false image of bill clinton and a false image of al gore and so <clears throat> she knows what propaganda is and as she starts to convert and starts to realize um, she's now called by the same people who uh, endorsed her. She's now called a conspiracy theorist. Uh -huh. um, she, yeah, she's under direct uh -oh. attack. She's under censorship. Um, and so she and um, she and a couple of others have for their website daily clout. Uh, has been suspended and censored in many places. Her Twitter account multiplied, uh, multiply, um, censored. And so she's under the process of being erased or canceled by the very people that she served. And so this is the, this is the path of the convert. How often in the martyrology do we, do we track the convert, uh, from being, well, from St. Paul? It's St. Paul's path. Um, he is a persecutor of the Jews. He has the road to Damascus moment. He has the conversion. He becomes a champion of the Christian faith, and then he ends up being martyred and killed. And so <clears throat> modernly that, you know, there's a bloodless martyrdom called being canceled. We have canceled priests. We have canceled politicians. We have canceled journalists. And so Naomi Wolf is an interesting voice to listen to here because she's speaking from the inside. And she's starting to realize and have a beautiful movement called compunction. Compunction is the realization of the effects our sins have on others, not only individually, but a nation, a society. And so I think Miss um, Wolf bears a very heavy load right now. And um, I pray that she continue to work through her reparation by telling the truth, tolling the truth. I agree with many of the premises in her article and ultimately call you back to Psalm uh, 96, 5, which quotes, for the gods of the Gentiles are demons. 
And that's that's essentially what she's saying in her article. Uh, she, uh, you're right. As I read this article, Kyle, she doesn't sound like a liberal that was, you know, uh, shilling for the Clintons. She sounds like somebody who, like, a, you know, a Jew, obviously, who is going through what the catechism calls an interior conversion. She had that moment of compunction or that moment, of, that prick of conscience where she's saying, you know what, uh, I'm on the wrong side of the issues. And it seems to me as if as if she's being impelled by her Jewish, uh, you know, probably probably by the Jewish faith that she was given as a child. And uh, and she's talking about things that, as Catholics, we would see practicing Catholics would say, yeah, this is quite obvious that a lot of a lot of the human evil is being overlaid by the diabolical. We would just like say, yeah, absolutely. Uh, she she let me quote something else here. Then I want to get your take. She uh, she quotes uh, the parable in Matthew chapter twelve, verse forty three to forty five about uh, the demons coming back with seven spirits more wicked, and she says. Uh, Pastor Cain makes the case that the ancient gods were initially, in essence, put on the defensive, as the Hebrew Old Testament recounts, first by Yahweh and by the introduction of the mon- of monotheism and the revelation of the Ten Commandments. And then they were vanquished altogether and sent into outer darkness by the arrival to humanity, to the being whom he sees as the Messiah, Yeshua. One might say, w- w- one might one might right away uh, resist such a phrasing. What do you mean the gods? But Cain is both careful and accurate in his translations and is tracing the four millennia of religious history through a set of phrases. Here's these two paragraphs are important. Cain rightly points out that the Hebrew Bible refers to what in Hebrew is rendered shadim or negative spirits. In modern Hebrew, this word means ghost. Cain correctly points out that these spirits, powers, or principalities were worshipped in the pagan world in many guises, from the fertility god Baal to the goddess of sexuality, Asherah or Ashtaroth, to the destructive idol Moloch. He rightly points out that the ancient world was everywhere consecrated to these dark or lower entities and that worshippers went to the point of sacrificing their own children to propitiate these forces. Wow, seems like nothing's changed. He correctly reflects the central narrative of the tribes of Israel as alternately embracing Yahweh and his Ten Commandments and ethical covenant and finding it all too taxing and thus falling away to whore after those pagan gods, he notes that the gods of the Old Testament world descended in an updated guise into Greco-Roman life, taking on new names, Zeus, Diana, and so on. Kyle, can you comment on uh, what I just shared with you right there? And it seems to me something very interesting is that is that Jonathan Cain, who was a secular humanist atheist, uh, but he's he's Jewish. He's embraced Christianity, called himself a Messianic Jew, and he's having an effect on a secular Jew, Naomi Wolf, who seems she's now taking baby steps, but at least she's moving in the right direction. So it seems like one fallen away Jew who's embraced Christ uh, is uh, had, has had an effect on another secular Jew, and it seems like she's she's leaving the darkness and coming into the light. On the next segment, I want Kyle to just comment on what I just shared right now and uh, give us some some liberal crystal analysis. We'll be right back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere.
Wednesday War College, just Romero, Kyle Clement. Kyle is, uh, without a doubt, the most uh, literate, knowledgeable lay Catholic when it comes to spiritual warfare on planet Earth, bar none. He's been doing this for decades. And so we appreciate his analysis. We appreciate what he uh, him joining us on Wednesdays. Uh, Kyle, I find it interesting that one fallen away Jew who, who has embraced Christ, Jonathan Cain, has had an effect on a secular Jew. And it seems, she, it seems like she's embracing also the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But uh, the, the thesis is that, is that what we're dealing with right now is the return of, of ancient gods. And, uh, you know, the, several of the gods that were mentioned in the article, Baal, Astaroth, Moloch, who we reject, rebuke, and renounce in Jesus' name. It, it, the article is saying, or, or Naomi, uh, Naomi is saying that they've returned back. That's what we're dealing with right now. Uh, and, and she quotes, obviously, that seven other spirits more wicked than oneself will come back to the house once uh, the spirit has gone out of the man. What would you say about that? Are we dealing with the return of the gods, uh, Kyle? From a Catholic perspective, what would you say? I think that her statement is accurate, and to put it in Catholic terms, so that we get a get a little bit clearer perspective on it. Um, you mentioned so when they return, what is it that enables something to return to come back, and what is it that expels it in the first place? And how and why is it here? And so if we if we look at that in, in retrospect, how and why is it here? So we're dealing with creature. I think it's always interesting with regard to when you and I were going to school, we learned what was called uh, Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. And we had some way or another in, instilled in us through public education um, that the fact that it was a myth meant that it was false. And so this is not necessarily a, a correct premise. Um, a myth may be may not necessarily be false, n- nor is a legend necessarily false. It's that it's not properly substantiated, perhaps. And so you're looking yeah. for a fullness of truth. You're looking for a fullness of truth. I'll give you a case in point is that when um, the Americas were, when the um, conquistadores and the others were engaging and, and encountering indigenous people in the United States, in what is now the United States in the New World, they fell into one of two groups. And they were those who uh, were called civilized, those who fell into a group which had always recognized, worshiped, and acknowledged a benevolent great spirit. And then it fell into the other group, which is those who worshipped malevolent spirits. And one of the hallmarks of those who worship the malevolent are those spirits which must be appeased by sacrifice, blood sacrifice, human sacrifice, etc. Is that um, there were it was a, a polytheism. There were multiple gods of various rankings and hierarchies. Well, when you look at it just from a logical standpoint, this is more consistent with creature than it is with deity. Is there's there's not actual in an actual deity, there's not a hierarchy. Hmm. There is one God. Correct. There is one God in three persons, God and substantial. And and so there's a sequential development. There's a sequential understanding of God. There is an almighty aspect of God, but there's not the 
animosity, polytheism, vying for place or position. This is consistent with creature, not with a deity, true deity. Yes. And so whenever you see this, this is consistent with demons. Even though angels are of various ranks, there's no competition. There's no adversity because there's no sense of self. That's a, fun that's a function of fallen creature. And I think that's a key point is to understand is this is what makes us psychologically compatible with them is the desire for power, for influence, for status, for affirmation, etc. And so this psychological compatibility started in the garden. But mm. if we back up even, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep, continue. Yeah. So if we back up even further and we look at when was the first exorcism, what is exorcism? And so exorcism may be defined as the expulsion of an entity opposed to God, de facto a diabolical entity, um, a demon. And the formula for exorcism is exactly the same every single time, whether it's done individually, whether it's done societally, whether it is done universally. And that is the demon retreats and is expelled with the proclamation, the manifestation of the truth. Mm. So what happened? So what happens is Lucifer says, I will not serve. Michael says, quiesut Deus, who can compare to God? It is that statement that is the sword of St. Michael. It is that statement that pierces the offending member of Lucifer, the tongue of the dragon. And it is by that statement that Lucifer is banned from heaven, from proximity with God. That is the exorcistic formula. We see it applied universally when Christ, the truth, the word made flesh and dwelt among us, we see the exorcistic formula now exercised, now employed upon the world. Mm. And upon the world, so Christ is the personification. He is it, is, it is he who perfects exorcism. And so that's, that's exactly what we're dealing with right now. There, uh, what uh, Naomi Wolf is saying, and what you've just described, Kyle, is uh, the only we're way... The only way to to get rid of this is uh, it, it reminds me of that verse in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people pray and 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 uh, and and uh, and seek my face, then I will heal their land. Uh, it, it's gonna it's gonna be national repentance, national conversion, national embracing of the truth for us to rid ourselves of these demons that are afflicting America. Correct. You are precisely right, Jesse, and we're seeing the em employment of exorcistic formula by many who don't realize that's what they're doing. But anytime you say transgender has no place in society because it's an abomination, anytime you say homosexuality is a deviancy, anytime you say misappropriation of funds, organized crime, fill in the blank, mismanagement, malfeasance, Anytime you point this out in a public square, you've started the exorcistic formula. Now, it's wow. not immediate because the other side will fight back. Right. They'll try, to, 
they'll band together, they'll try to justify their actions. But what we're seeing is um, it, it's a Protestant form, but we're seeing the secular exorcism of our country. Mm. Hmm. Question is, will it be will it be successful? Do we have the stomach for it? Let me give you a micro example of 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 uh, this exorcistic formula being manifested and proclaimed. Uh, a lot of, a lot of friends over in the East Coast, over in Boston, Massachusetts, the Temple of Satan went over to consecrate Boston, and they had a weekend conference at the Marriott Hotel. It was called a weekend of blasphemy. Hundreds of Catholics descended upon in front of the hotel. And just like you were saying, not only were they praying prayers of reparation and praying the rosary, but they were also in, in they showed they sent me the videos, my my friends that uh that were out there doing the prayer rally. They were all they were also holding signs and 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 saying, you know, uh proclaiming boldly, Satan has no rights, Satan has no they would chant that. They would say things like uh Crisis King of Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, and they were saying things such as uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary crushes Satan's head, and they were chanting this over and over in between the decades of the Rosary. So as as I just heard you right now, these Catholics over there, these lay Catholics in Boston, Massachusetts, that was the beginning of an exorcistic formula in public because they were proclaiming and manifesting the truth. Uh, you know, to 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 those uh, Satanists that were across the street at the Marriott Hotel, right? That's precisely right. So it is the declaration, proclamation of the truth, and the continuing the the tolling of it, T O L L I N G, the tolling of the truth until it has a desired effect, which the the diabolic will then turn on themselves. They will begin to turn on themselves. And if you've ever been in a a group of gathering of satanic people, or even um, praying in front of abortion clinics long enough where satanic sacrifice is happening, they end up turning on themselves. And so this is one of the hallmarks of uh, false deity are those that are set up, demons who set themselves up as deities, is there's always an animosity, an inner bickering, a struggle for power. There's always a hierarchical um, lack of equilibrium. And so then they turn on themselves and you, you see it if you've ever been in these kind of rallies or these kind of gatherings, uh, you see it. The, the angelic side, the side that is aiding the an- angels becomes more unified and more resolute. And the other side begins to, to wilt and, and, um, and, and dissipate. I saw that over here in Scottsdale, Arizona uh, on, on, on Sunday when the Satanists finished their their conference at the hotel and we'd been praying there for three days from 12 noon to 3 p.m on sundays their conference ended at two o'clock and we were right across the street watching them as they were and there was a lot of police in between them and us as they were walking out uh they were a lot of them were pushing each other in the chest a lot of them were were at the point of getting into a fist fight the police had to jump in in between the satanist other Satanists were screaming the F word to the other Satanists. Uh, and you can just see as they were walking out of their conference, they were they were not unified. After three days of doing their satanic uh, incantations and, and spells and curses, they weren't unified. They were cursing at each other. They were pushing at each other. They were getting almost into fistfights had the police not been there. And one of the cops told me, 
He goes, Romero, he goes, I don't know what you guys did. He goes, but they had a horrible three days in there. And now what you're telling me makes complete sense because I actually saw that. All we did was kept praying and chanting things like, Satan has no rights. You know, 300 of us, Satan has no rights. We'd start the rosary again. We'd start our, our litanies. And then we, you know, we chant again, you know, Mary's crushed the head of the serpent. And at the end of the three, well, in fact, Friday and Saturday, there was a lot of Satanists that came up to me, half a dozen. They're saying, man, they threw me out. I said, uh, you know, you guys are at least nice. Those guys threw me out. I said, you're a Satanist? Said, yeah, I'm a Satanist. Why'd they throw you out? We can't agree in there. We're all disagreeing on, 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 on what is right and what is Satan, what is truly the doctrine of Satan and what is not. And so here I'm talking to half a dozen Satanists that are fighting with each other and they were thrown out of the conference. They were called heretics and schismatics by the ones that, in leadership. So, Kyle, what you said right now, I saw the effects of our prayers as it, it uh, the, the diabolical turned on themselves as a result of faithful Catholics proclaiming the truth. Hey, we'll be right back. We're talking to Kyle Clement, and he's breaking down this article for us. Don't go anywhere. Stick around. We'll be right back. Wednesday War College, uh, this article, Return of the Gods by Naomi Wolf. Kyle's giving us an analysis. Kyle, I want you to, you said something, and I just want you just to kind of repeat it again. You said that the psych, psychological compatibility with a demon started in the Garden of Eden. I want you to develop that a little bit. Then I want you also, you said that the formula for exorcism is the same whether it's individual, familial, or national, you said the demon is, is driven out with the proclamation and manifestation of the truth. That's where the exorcistic formula uh, starts or begins. Can you uh, re repeat that again? I got a lot of people texting me saying that was deep. They, they want to hear you just go through that again. Okay. And so in the garden, what we see, this is one of the things that Father and I, Father Ripperger and I, um, really stress in the protocol and in the Libra Cristo methodology um, of liberation. And it's, it's been a, a feature um, of the Jewish and Catholic understanding is that there has to be a psychological compatibility between the fallen human and the, and the fallen angel. So let's go to that just a, a little bit more. Psychological compatibility means <clears throat> that there is a point upon which the two creatures agree, at least one point, if not many points. And so a good example of psychological compatibility is you, I, and your audience. There are points that uh, upon which we agree. There are points upon which we are at least interested. And there are things that we hold in common. So this is the beginning of a relationship. And there are many things that you and I have in common. There are many, many other things that we don't have in common. But our interest in this particular area, our love of the Lord, the fact that we're both Welos, the fact that we both have um, children and grandchildren and, and beautiful wives. And the, so the list goes on. And so compatibility and basis for relationship 
becomes deeper and deeper and deeper. And so the more psychological, psychologically compatible we are, and the more time we spend talking to each other and with each other in our proximity, the more concrete the relationship becomes. It's the same with regard to um, positive or negative relationships. Pope, Pope St. Leo the Great talked about this as holy and unholy alliances. He said, you will assume the attributes or defects of those with whom you associate. And so this is one of the problems for modern man is we have a smorgasbord of friends, and so we're conflicted. We have those friends around which our behavior degrades. We have other friends around which our behavior improves. And so Pope St. Leo the Great would say you want to pursue those relationships which make you want to be a better husband, a better father, a better man. These are positive. The negative ones are those which lead us away from God, which turn us in on ourselves, which make us turn from ad orientum to ad hominem or ad populum. And, and so and, and, and even uh, Kyle, obviously a relationship with a demon is going to make us turn ad populum, obviously, right? Precisely. And, and even more so is the demon demands that, um, that we exclude any aspect of God. He will gradually want to drive God out of our life. Um, and so he, he wants an exclusive relationship. And this uh. is a mockery or an aping of God saying, I am a jealous God. You'll have no other gods before me. Wow. That makes everything. Sense. Kind of like a, like what they call in the Spanish community, a Sancho, okay? You know, the husband's away and Sancho comes. The demon wants to be a Sancho and get and break uh, the, the wife away from the husband and become an interloper, right? That's precisely right. That is precisely right, Jesse. And he can't do it if the strong man is home. Uh, he won't do it if the strong man is home. That's all New Testament so language looking, right there. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's looking for the person who is in conflict, the husband who's not acting like a husband, the wife who's not acting like a wife. Um, and it's in that conflict how he spots us. That's the psychological compatibility. So Eve's sin begins when you look at the Jewish Midrash. They're very clear that her infidelity starts when she begins contemplating the fruit. Because if she's totally faithful, if she's fully discharging the first commandment, then she does not even consider the fruit. When she begins yeah, to consider yeah. the fruit, now she's sinning in her mind. She's using her mind for an off-label use, for that which it was not created. Because now she is using it and, and developing um, an ideation that is inconsistent with God's holy will. The serpent is there and gives word to her thought. What did God tell you? So immediately, the question is a questioning of God. There's a questioning of the relationship with God. This is the basis for all temptation. Every single sin, every single temptation follows the matrix of the garden. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Kyle, let me ask and you a so question. That's what... Just so I can understand the audience, I got somebody texting me here. 
you said the demon is looking for for a husband or or a wife that is in conflict. You're talking about in conflict in their interior. In other words, they're they're giving over to their concupiscence. Is that the conflict we're talking about? Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me ask you a question. Let's suppose I work in an office um, and uh, I begin to flirt with a, uh, a female coworker. Is my flirting, my innuendo, my treating her differently than I treat someone else in the office? Is that consistent with who I am as a husband? Not at all. Nope. So oh, yeah, what, happens yeah. if, what happens if she's possessed and the eyes that I'm looking into and flirting with are not hers alone? Wow. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's I, I could see uh, that happening a million times around the world every day. Yep. And this is what makes it so... So um, nefarious is that yeah. the demon knows precisely the dirt suit, the human form to that we are most susceptible to. Is it um, a young woman in her 20s? Is it a young boy who may have been abused? Is it what is it that immediately allows this creature inside our guard, inside our parameter, inside our wire? Um, and every single person has um, a particular vulnerability. You have to know your vulnerabilities, but this is how exorcist priests get taken out over and over and over again. The demon watches. He understands exactly what that person needs to look like to be able to get inside the priest wire to compromise his boundaries and, and then do something that is, that is improper or at least questionable enough to get him suspended or uh, laicized. So you also said, Kyle, that the formula for exorcism, you said, you said it's the same, whether it's individual or national or familial. Uh, the formula is, is, uh, is to drive the demon out with the proclamation and manifestation of the truth. Correct. That's precisely right. And so that's the, inner logic behind phase one of the protocol where everyone in the household prays certain prayers at certain hours of the day. They impose the order and discipline, which is the first attribute of God. They proclaim the incarnation. They proclaim the mysteries of Christ's life and his life, death, and resurrection. These are being proclaimed in the house. And so the truth is being proclaimed and is being made manifest in the thoughts, words, and deeds of the people in the house. And if there's a demon present, it will smoke him out. I've heard uh, you and Father say that probably 85% of cases or 90% of cases self-deliver through phase one and phase two protocol. In other words, bringing back order, uh, spiritual order back into the house, back into the interior life, uh, and and also establishing just a kind of a monastic... uh, you know, constant prayer life throughout the day, and 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 just the the, impos- the, the prayers themselves are powerful, obviously, because again, uh, you know, we're, we're, it's it's kind of that Psalm one thirty moment. You're you're asking God, you're praying to God the Most High, but also it's just the imposition of order that starts driving the demon out. Correct. Well, that's absolutely right. We see it over and over. Just the restoration to some form of prominence in the household, the name of Jesus Christ, the name of our, our lady, 
um, devotion to to God, to the Trinity, all of those prayers coming forward. Um, that um, it's amazing how effective that is, and it's just simple exorcistic formula. And uh, and and this is why most people, through an act of their will, most people can self deliver. But again, it requires it requires interior discipline, uh, and it requires it requires uh, you know a life of prayer and a life of of you have to pursue holiness. You have to desire to live in a state of grace. Correct? Because a lot of people throw in the towel. towel. I, I hear them say, "I can't. It's too hard." Uh, and uh, a lot of people just they don't have the the will to say, you know what, I'm done with this life. I want to be healed. I want Jesus to heal me. I want to be liberated. They just, their will is just not engaged. And, and at that point, uh, I mean, there's, there's not a whole lot you can do for the person other, other than, you know, maybe the family praying, asking God for the, you know, to give him to try to merit the grace of conversion for them. Right. Well, you're precisely right, but that's going to take a form that we're, we don't expect. And you're right on two accounts. Number one is the Catholic understanding that the will of the human person is never so compromised that they can't cry out to God and ask for help. And in that moment, God responds with the grace sufficient, but it requires us moving and working in our will. And so we're never overwhelmed. This It's a very Protestant evangelical idea yeah. that yeah. I have to get someone to lay their hold, hands upon me, thought. speak yeah. in tongues. Yeah. <laughs> hold that thought, Kyle. <laughs> Heartbreak. We'll be right back. Stick around. Wednesday War College. Wednesday War College, we got the expert on spiritual warfare, Kyle Clement. He's uh, been working with Father Ripperger for the past 15, 16 years. He's literally Father Ripperger's right-hand man. Uh, and so this is the most literate, uh, knowledgeable lay Catholic on planet Earth when it comes to Catholic spiritual warfare. Kyle, I want to ask you a question. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of Catholics, obviously, because they've been... Uh, you know, they watch the TBN channel. They see people laying hands on each other, and and so they they have this Protestant this Protestant way of of of, of a Protestant understanding. And a lot of times, when uh, when I'm at a parish giving giving lectures, guys will come up to me. You know, hey, Jess, I'm just, I'm kicking drugs. I'm kicking heroin. I'm I'm I'm, I'm an ex gang member. Just came out of prison, et cetera, et cetera. Can, can you pray for me? They'll say, and so and. A lot of them, because again, they're just used to the kind of the Protestant modality. They'll say, yeah, can, can you, you know, can you put your hand on me and, and pray over me? And I tell them, I said, I can't pray over you. I said, I'm not a priest, but I'll pray with you. And so what I'll do, I'll say, okay. And I, and I kind of crack a joke with them. I'll say, my hands aren't holy. They're, I didn't, uh, a bishop didn't consecrate my hands. They're not holy. I can't confect the sacrament. I said, in fact, these hands are anything less than holy. I'm a black belt in karate. I fought in the ring for 10 years. Uh, <laughs> and I was a cop for 20 years. I strapped on a gun for 20 years. So my hands are anything but holy. But I do have a rosary that's blessed by a Catholic priest with the St. Benedict's medal that's been pressed. And what I'll have them do, I'll say, here, put this in your hand. So I'll have the, you know, the gang member, drug addict, whatever. 
he'll put my rosary in his hand. I say, okay, look, hold it. This is a sacramental and look at the crucifix. Then I'll lead them in a prayer, some type of deprecatory prayer. Like, okay, repeat after me. Have you ever heard the prayer soul of Christ? No, no. What's that? Okay. Just repeat after me. So I'll just say it. Okay. And look at the crucifix. Look at Jesus. Don't look at me. I have no power. All the power and grace comes from Christ. So we're going to just pray after me. So I'll just lead them. I'll say, let's make the sign of the cross. They'll do that. And then I'll just take them through soul of Christ. Sanctify me. Repeat that. And they'll say it. And so there's a way to do this where we have to teach people how to pray for themselves. It's, it's, it's kind of like the Democrats and the Republicans. The Democrats want to give you a fish every time you're hungry. And the Republicans want to teach you how to, how to get your own fish, how to fish for your, for your own food. And that's what we should be doing as Catholics is, is when somebody is, is needy, a family member, hey, Uncle Jesse, I'm a heroin addict. I want to, you know, I just got out of prison. I need some help. Uh, uh, you know, can you pray for me? I'm desperate. Yeah, I'll pray with you. Let me pray with you here. Let me show you how to pray. Uh, your comments on that, Kyle? Well, you're exactly right, Jesse. And I mean, that is at the heart of the Libra Cristo methodology and any true Catholic methodology is to give the other the opportunity to do the right thing, not to do it for them. And conversion doesn't come about by us doing for other, doing it for them. It's by teaching them. And that's, that's what necessitates conversion or, or facilitates conversion. <clears throat> and ultimately, at the end of the day, even if an exorcist has to be used in solemn rites, what he's doing is augmenting the free will of the person who desires freedom. He's not, he cannot affect freedom against the, the will of the person. And that's, um, that's a key concept is this misunderstanding of free will, exactly how it operates. And modernly in the Catholic Church, this has been uh, under direct attack. Also, the, re the reparation and the value of redemptive suffering. Both of these are under direct attack uh, in the church modernly. And rightly so, because they are two of the most sure paths to sanctity. But uh, one of the, one of the good things, Kyle, is that, uh, you know, the next couple of weeks, we're going to be preparing some, some responses, some uh, quality responses uh, done very well on some of the errors that we see uh, in the Catholic church today as it relates to this. So I, I, I can't wait till that project uh, till, uh, till, till that's uh shared with the audience. Kyle, I want to just ask you also about uh, what the whole thesis of this article is that you have ancient demons that are returning to America. Uh, would that be something? Well, God, we know that demons can't die. Demon, demons are indestructible as well as angels. They can't die. They're eternal. So uh, what would you say about the, uh, Naomi Wolf and 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 uh, Jonathan Cain about uh, some of these Old Testament demons have come back or they're here and now. Uh, maybe people call them under different names, but is that something that would be consistent with a Catholic understanding of angelology? Close. Uh, it would be very close. And so the understanding is is that the angels and the order of angels was created whole and entire at the moment of creation. And so there's, there has not been an ongoing creation of angels. And so every angel and subsequently every demon um, that is present among us now has always been present to us um, since the beginning of time. And so with that understanding, now their influence wanes and waxes depending upon how much 
prayer, sacrifice, devotion, attention is given to them in the same way that the angelic influence is it wanes and waxes depending upon how much prayer we offer. Here's the difference is the diabolical will militate or work until they're, they reach opposition. The angelic will only engage when they're invited. And so all of the prayers, one of the reasons that our weather is in such shape and everything is in such shape is we've got way fewer praying farmers. We've got way fewer praying people who are directly associated with the world correctly in a, in a rightly ordered way. And so um, this is another example where the deviancy, those demons that have sway over the weather, now are responding to um, aggrandizing the earth as if it were a deity and, and them as if they are deities, the weather gods, etc. And so all of that kind of language militates and empowers the other side. It's, they never went anywhere. The angel, the demons that are in Mexico, that the Blessed Mother stopped the, the child sacrifice uh, of the Aztecs and the Mayans, she stopped that child sacrifice. Well, those demons went nowhere. They went underground. Now they're being empowered by the cartel. They're being empowered by the sex trafficking, the sacrifice. What's happening to children around the world is empowering those demons and those people to understand a person's power and stature in the evil realm grows when they desecrate a child. This is what was happening on Epstein's Island. This is what's happening with pedophilia is a person grows in stature and power on the dark side when they desecrate a child, when they, when they abrogate that, tr that sacred trust of a child. The, this is the ticket um, to power status and um, influence among the diabolical. That's what we're seeing. Okay, so when you're saying that a person grows in stature and power whenever they, they're engaged in, in, in diabolical acts, we're talking about the human person grows in stature and power, not the demon, correct? I mean, the demon can grow in stature and both. power, right? Right? Both? Both, well, well, both. Wow. He grows in influence, and, and that's what I'm saying is, once that movement is started, so for instance, um, abortion in this country uh, fuels or empowers both Moloch and Baphomet and, and many other demons. It's, uh, this is why abortion is so viscerally defended. This is why homosexuality is a, is a rabid response anytime you challenge any of these things. When you talk about the mutilation of a pubescent child, a pubescent body, you're going to tell them their bedtime, but you're not going to tell them their gender. Logic is absolutely out the door, out the window. And this is what enables the diabolical to grow and influence in our culture and in our society. Okay, so when you're saying that the demon grows in stature and power, that, what you mean is they're growing in influence, right, over our culture, like when we people commit abortion and they and you know the whole LGBT movement. Uh, I, I could see how the person grows in stature and power. I could just look at somebody like Katy Perry and you know uh, uh, Lady Gaga. Uh, they make tons of money and they become super famous. But the demon grow when, when an abortion is committed or something heinous like that. The demon grows. In, in stature and power 
in terms of his influence, right? Or the demon's influence on society, correct? That's absolutely right. Just think of it in inverse form. So here's what happens is a, a diabolical entity, a demon of at least principality class, will set himself up opposite, uh, opposite a bishop in a geographical area. And he is going to take credit for every untimely death within that geographical area, whether that's abortion, euthanasia, uh, abused hospice, suicide. He's going to take credit for every bit of that, and he will draw just as hyenas draw he will draw more demons to him in a given area, and then the area begins to go dark. And so sin and egregious sin, mortal sin, becomes the norm. A very good bishop, on the other hand, if he increases the flow of sacramental grace or grace through the sacraments by increased numbers of baptisms, weddings, Holy Eucharist, um, all of these things, then that increases the flow of grace into a given area and the light becomes brighter, and so this becomes a grace-filled area, and that actually expels the diabolical. You can see this in communities. Uh, you can see it in neighborhoods. You certainly saw it when you were in law enforcement, um, it, and it's almost across the street. One side of the street will be one way, and the other side of the street will be another way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. We see it in small towns. There's small towns in America. There's small towns in America which would make soap operas blush. Every the infidelity, adultery, whatever it may be, a, a particular spirit becomes entrenched within that community, um, and you see it. And then you go right down the road. Same uh, looks like the same kind of community, but there's a totally different atmosphere because there's a strong church, there's a strong priest, there's sacramental grace flowing into that area. But that's that's the spiritual atmosphere um, or the spiritual topography, if you will. Kyle, so with the Temple of Saints doing around the country, this is the third city that they went to go and do a conference and consecrate the city. They're doing that intentionally to draw more demons into that area and so that that area could grow more in darkness, correct? This is by intent. You're precisely right, and they're opportunists. And so what you're looking for is they are opportunists. They're going to places that are already on the decline, which have a weak or a compromised prelate, a prelate who is um, Interesting. under attack or tottering, so to speak. Now, interestingly enough, you won't see them being Kyle, we're gonna, we're gonna have to We're going to have to stop here, brother. We're going to have to pick that up next week. So many other questions I have to ask you. Uh, uh, hard break Wednesday, War College. We're at the very end. Thanks a lot, Kyle, for coming on. Up next, Gary Machuda, Hands Thank on Apologetics. You. You've been listening to Wednesday War College with Kyle Clement, Jess Romero. We'll see you next time, same Christ time, same Christ channel. God bless you. Keep the faith. <laughs>